this correctly transmitted mind of Sakushin Zabutsu is all things and vice versa. Therefore, an ancient Zen master said, if one realizes the Buddha mind, there is no other inch of the earth. Between two ancient high monks, there was a, this dialogue. What, in, what is the wondrous, clear, and bright mind? It is mountains, rivers, and earth, or the sun, moon, and stars. It is now clear the mind is mountains or, or stars. <clears throat> but when we try to add something to mind, it runs short. When we try to detract something from it, it becomes too much. Ain't that the truth? Anything on this before we go on? You know, there's an idea in, in Zen and Buddhism of big mind and small mind. And Lori and I was talking about this today in reference to Joel's talk yesterday. But but um, is this small mind or big nine? And then people say that these two minds are actually one. So, you know, not being able to separate them. But I love that idea. Also, Analio, who you've probably heard about, some of you, um, talks about the inside and the outside, but actually there's no separation. What's within us and what's outside of us. There's no, they all become one, which is a similar thing. Yeah. Okay, next is me. How about another voice reading this? I read it earlier. Nelda, you want to read? Well, I, I guess. Um, Whoever's next. Melissa, you're next. I'm skipping. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the moment of without thinking, everything before oneself is present to the mind. In fact, in this moment prior to conceptualization of self and other, everything is the mind the entire mind is taken up with the mountains river sea and so forth indeed the mind presents mountains rivers and the great sea with such brightness and clarity because in this moment the mind is other is none other than mountains rivers and the great sea and so forth there is no other inch of earth in this moment add to or subtract from the what is before me of this perflective experience no, pre-reflective i think a pre-reflective thank you yeah, yes you okay. are correct of this pre-reflective experience and no one and one will no longer be visualizing actualizing this mind this without thinking wow so uh, this i know nelda has something she wants to say about this but do other people well let's listen to nelda and then she might ignite something under our butts okay <laughs> thanks nandia <laughs> so I'm glad to see it in print because it actually confirms my dislike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And the previous paragraph will point to exactly why. When we are talking about the mind with that little M in print, we are talking about cognition. And that is a filter that separates. Just a second. Melena's here. Okay, Melen, we're talking about these two first paragraphs here. Okay. Okay, go on, Nelda. Nelda explained to us why it's wrong. Yeah, not why it's wrong, why I don't like it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so I was saying that this paragraph that was just read by Melissa was, was you know, visually read. Um, that Kim had read it previously and we were listening and I didn't like it and I was trying to understand why. In the previous paragraph, you see that that the quote capitalizes mind. So it's referring to what you were just talking about in your discussion with Lori, big mind, little mind. And, and as it reads with the M, small m, that's little mind, that's cognition. That is exactly what we chanted about this morning when we said no ears, no eyes, no nose, no, you know, those are sense perceptions. And so as I heard you reading it, then it said um, in the moment of without thinking, everything before oneself is present to the mind. No, that's a thinking. You are, you got one of the sense perceptions. It's when you let the mind fall away that you're actually in big mind and everything becomes clear. That's my experience. Infrequent, but I, but, but that's my experience. And so I, I think as long as you are um, conceptualizing this in terms of your mind as we use it intellectually, and discursively to, to form words, if you're looking at things from that perspective, you, you've already cut the cat in two. You've already created the division. You're not in big mind. But are you coming to this from, from the place of without thinking or the place of thinking? Without thinking, because the mind is a thinking thing. He, this is before this pre-cognition thing you're talking about. Okay, so in the moment of without thinking, everything before oneself is okay. So in the moment of of not of without thinking, everything before oneself is present in the mind. That's really not true. Everything before oneself is present in consciousness. Consciousness does not reside in the mind. That's uh, anyone else? Can you just distinguish that for me? Mm -hmm, Nandia. Yeah, I'm so, All around the world, there are 10 open scientific questions. And one of them, one of the biggest ones before scientists of all backgrounds, um, is where does consciousness reside? We know where we know where brainwave patterns reside, and we know where different things reside in the body. But scientists cannot answer the question where consciousness resides, and we unfortunately link consciousness with in what we call thinking, 
or and they're not that they're not scientists have have decided at least as as theories stand today that's that they're separate and distinct things and thinking resides in the brain in the mind and consciousness they don't know where so when i look at this or hear this paragraph about in the moment of without thinking everything before oneself is present to the mind my my physical response is no consciousness is present everywhere and nowhere it, it, you cannot identify a space that that it um that consciousness occupies solely or does not occupy so i i'm just having trouble with this because i i because of the use of in the mind i think it creates when a when you just said that um consciousness is shoot 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 you just said uh within everything and how how did you can you I say that it, it is everywhere and it's nowhere in particular it's everywhere and it's nowhere how in about particular. the entire mind is taken up with the mountains river sea and so forth and i mean it seems actually quite similar no you're talking about everything. There's a form of. But isn't the isn't the end part saying? I I just prefer the language that says everything before oneself is present in consciousness, and in this moment, prior to conceptualization of self and others, which happens in the mind. It goes there, there's an idea that I think you're referring to that consciousness is outside of us and it's it, we come from consciousness as opposed to the other way around. Um, but if, could you read this? I do that or I can that mind is actually referring to consciousness, not if, to our brain. If they capitalized mind, it would be I'd be having easier time with it. Yeah, so it's interesting that Dogen capitalized it, but he didn't do it. But I, I think they're talking about the same thing. But well, if, but they're anyway. talking, if they're talking about big mind, which I equate with consciousness, then I'm okay with this. Okay. But, okay. I I think they are. I think that's that's the kind of the the point that there's no other inch. Where is it? And I lost it. Um, there's no other inch of earth or to or subtract from what is before me of this pre-reflective experience. So before that, you're not connected. You're, you're just connected to the, to the capital M mind. Well, I'll add two points. Words yeah. are slippery things, and we need to be careful with them, especially in a spiritual practice. And we yeah. that was just exemplified with the big bad wolf and uh, and commas and uh, <laughs> little red riding hood. So I, I was just pointing out why I was uncomfortable, didn't like it, it didn't resonate well with me. Um, because I think when we use certain words, especially words that are mm -hmm. common like mind, People create many different stories about what that means, and I just want clarity. Okay, so that we're going to read a little. We're going to read. Thank you, Nelda. I think that's important, and, and we're going to read a little more about this. 
So I'll read next because I was skipped on my own doing. Indeed, says Dogen, all things are expressed via without thinking. This is as true of such relatively small and mundane moments as experiencing the cutting of the cat, as it is true of the grand moments of pre-reflectively experiencing mountains, rivers, and the great sea. If this cutting of the cat were not able to reflect, that is to be the entire mind without remind, remainder in the moment of the act, then neither could the mountains, rivers, and the great sea do be so, and thus be said <coughs> to be mind, unexcelled, pure, and clear. Maybe even that seems important. Maybe someone else wants to read that too. Malen, you want to just read that again? With starting with indeed? Yes. Indeed, says Dogan, all things are expressed via without thinking. This is a true this is as true of such relatively small and mundane moments as experiencing the cutting of the cut, as it is true of the grand moments of pre-reflectively experiencing mountains, rivers, and the great sea. If this cutting of the cut were not able to reflect, that is, be the entire mind without reminder in the moment of the act, then neither could be mountains, rivers, and the great sea do be so, and thus be said to be mind, unexcelled, pure, and clear. I mean, to me, what, what's being asked is how do we really perceive things? But there's a logic here that he's using that um, of <laughs> relating the cutting of the cat to these other perceptions of these much, in his mind, bigger things. Can I have a question? Okay. Um, Not that I'll have an answer. Or maybe others too have an yeah. answer. Do you see everything that happens, everything, um, whether it came about by causes and conditions, right? Ancient twisted karma as a reflection of a consciousness of big mind of of all that is of just the whole unfolding of what came into being and continues to expand is there a question what? there yeah there was do you see all that is, wars, cat cutting, the divine and the atrocious, all of it as part of the very mind of Buddha, all of it unfolding. Well, isn't part of um, uh, what happens uh, 
to human beings uh, are the kalashas and delusion. So some of that behavior is born of delusion rather than uh, big mind uh, expressed without thinking. You know, there's um, there's a difference between what this is to me, to my, to the way it lands for me. There's a difference between what's being pointed to as in the moment of without thinking before oneself is present to the mind versus, oh, I did that screwed up thing. I wasn't thinking. That That's not the same, right? Right, um, but... but so when we say the manifestation of things that are atrocious and the thing you know many of those things that are atrocious are are human made and they're born out of delusion the fact that um you know on one side of this line is your land and on the other side of the this line is my land is something that's completely a fabrication you know, the fact that, you know, down the road from where I live, somebody was off balance and he gunned down 18 people and he put 13 more in the hospital and he destroyed communities. That's not Buddha nature. That's it came, delusion. It came from someone who has Buddha nature. So, yes, absolutely. It came from someone, it absolutely came from somebody who has food in nature and so sadly was not in touch with it. So what I'm trying to do, Nandia, is answer a question for myself, and that is, I and I do, thank you, because I do separate people from their actions. I don't see people as good or bad. I don't do that duality. But I'm really trying to focus on where we create, create dualities. And I think even in my doing that separation, I'm wondering, am I missing something? I, I just feel like in this practice, we constantly say not to, not to, that we don't separate anything from anything because the minute you do, you create us and them, those all kinds of, all kinds of, of, of delineations. And actually everything is one big manifestation. So that's why I'm asking the question. I'm trying to figure out the fuzz of the edge where it doesn't, where I'm having cognitive dissonance. So I'm gonna send you all when we're done, a beautiful article from that just came out from Tricycle Magazine about how Buddha never meant everything is one Thank and how that that's separate Amen. that is absolutely that's, that's, true. that's that is, separate that's that is very the different misunderstanding of buddhism yeah and that's yes. what this article is about i agree um that just so came good. out you see aren't you glad i asked the question <laughs> we get an article <laughs> it's so easy to uh go there if things aren't two well of course then they're one but, but it, it's no 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 there's still two. There's okay, still not two. two. <laughs> not two. Sorry. Um, okay. Should we go on? Not that we've solved this problem. Well, I, 
I just kind of wanted to say something which oh. is probably completely off. I'm sorry, which is probably completely off um, since I am not very knowledgeable about all these things. But part of what I see in this, and this is very simplistic, I understand that, is that when the mind presents mountains, rivers, and great seas with such brightness and clarity, I don't know if anybody's had this experience, but I have. And that is if you're, you drive up to some beautiful thing, uh, a mountain or a river or a sea, and you don't, you, you go, <gasps> and all that's in your mind and all that's anywhere, everywhere is that mountain or river or sea. And you don't judge it. You don't think about it. You don't think about anything else for at least a split, split second except the beauty of that and it's just in your mind it's not it's it, it's not presenting uh oh look there's you know three waves and whatever whatever and there's a tree there and there's that it's not there's none of that for that at least first initial few seconds all that's in your mind is that mountain or that river and so to me, that's the without thinking, right? That's you're doing that experience, the pre-reflective experience. You're not thinking about how wonderful it is. You're not thinking about anything. All your being, your entire being is with the ocean or the mountain or the river. And that to that, that's what I, I feel like, that, that if one could hold on to that, you you you'd be able to figure out where your consciousness was connecting because that's yeah. all there is. So that word pre-reflectively is really important, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, that's because what I feel like. It could depend. You know, there are people who go out and see a full moon, full moon and it brings them to tears because they used to sit under the full moon with their boyfriend every night and, and cuddle and now they miss the boyfriend because he got lost in some war. Well, that wouldn't right. be free, free, or maybe I, I know my point. But is, that would be after that'd be reflective. And, I know, but my point is that it has nothing to do with that first scene, as Joel pointed out in his talk yeah. yesterday. On an unconscious level, that emotional um, response comes up, and we're not even conscious of it, and then. We play it out in how we experience it. And we think, oh, that must be consciousness. Oh, I feel awe. Yeah, but yeah. it's, but there's an unconscious thing going on long before that we're not even aware of. Do you remember? Am I remembering that part of his talk yesterday correctly, Kim? I think so. But I think it's also one one way of looking at things. Right. But also, also um, there's this idea that about four tenths of a second before, like if you say, um, I have a lollipop, how, how do I like lollipops? My mind about four tenths of a second before I think I'm answering has already decide, answered the question unconsciously. And then it comes to the conscious. So I just don't know how to open it up. Here it is. Okay. So okay. what I was saying, well, Melissa, you are right. You are right analogy. sometimes. You are right sometimes, Melissa. It's just hard to tell. So for me. 
Okay, I think we're at furthermore. Malen read, so it's uh, Nandia. Furthermore, Dogen adds, if this were so, nor could one then say, this very mind is Buddha. What this statement means is directly answered in the very same chapter of the Shobo Genzo. Sokushin Zebutsu, this very mind is Buddha, means the Buddhas who have awakened to the Bodhi mind, trained themselves and realized enlightenment. The Buddha Shakyamuni is nothing other than the fact that the mind itself is Buddha. Dogen's Sokushin Zebutsu is the functional equivalent of Kukai's Shokushin Jobutsu, this very body is Buddha. The latter phrase refers to the Shingon belief that practitioners could obtain Buddhahood, quote, in this body, a phrase found in the title of the Kukai's most important work, Shokushin Jobutsu Yi. In one interpretation of this phrase, it refers to, quote, manifest realization, kentoku. That is the complete manifest realization, actualization of Buddhahood. Kukai, like Dogen, viewed the phenomenal world of, please move up the page because my iPad doesn't show anything else. Thank you. Oop. Oh, where'd it go? Viewed the phenomenal world of mountains, rivers, and so forth as the very realm wherein practitioners realize enlightenment. Body, in this context, does not refer to the physical body, but rather to, quote, body-mind being. The ultimate non-duality of body-mind in both Kukai's and Dogen's thought thus renders Sokushin Zebutsu and Sokushin Zobutsu as functional equivalents. Ah, I'm gonna say that again because I mispronounced it. Renders Sokushin Zebutsu and Sokushin Jobutsu as functional equivalents. But what Dogen means specifically by the former phrase proceeds from his particular conception of enlightenment. Nelda, maybe this will clarify a little bit the last paragraph. According to Dogen, it is, quote, this very mind, close quote, of without thinking, that is the boating mind. That is to say, the mind of the Shakyamuni Buddha in his enlightenment is this very mind of without thinking. Indeed, since the word Buddha is not literally a proper name, but literally translates as the awakened one, this very mind is the Buddha. Being the Buddha is none other than awakening, realizing, actualizing this without thinking mind. And I completely agree with that. <laughs> because so what I other vehicle do we have for realization other than our mind, body, emotions, perceptions so so i get it not too i do 
So it seems that the without thinking mind is our first interaction with something, but it's also coming come, coming all the way around to be able to to go back there after going through the the thing. And there, there's a saying to the man who knows or is not enlightened, or uh, a mountain is a mountain or uh, stream is a stream, I don't know, a rock is a rock. To the man with some knowledge, a mountain is not a mountain, a rock is not. And that's the delusion part of it. And also like overthinking it and, and it's everything, but it's not the mountain. And then to the man who's enlightened, a mountain is once again a mountain. A rock is a rock and a tree is a tree. So that's the um, awakening, realization, actualizing, being able to come back to that. And that was something that really uh, was important to the photographer Edward Weston, who Malen knows about. Um, this, he, he quoted this. That was the first time I heard it was in the 60s in, in a movie um, about him where he quotes this. Okay, so Cody, I think you're next. Having clarified. <clears throat> Having clarified how this cutting of the cat is an expression of full function, Dogen then elaborates on how the phrase functions as a pivot word. Immediately upon hearing this pivot word, see the cat itself as the Buddha body. Upon hearing this word, students should suddenly gain enlightenment. A full explanation of this passage will require an exposition of Dogen's theory of the Buddha body. But we can adequately understand this passage if we hold in mind what Dogen meant by this very mind is Buddha. What made Buddha the Buddha? We recall is his enlightenment. This actualizing, realizing of the body mind, thus the body body, I mean the Buddha body in Dogen's view is in one sense a term coextensive with the Buddha mind. So the passage in this context can be read as see the cat itself as the Buddha mind. Dogen is therefore explaining that when one hears this cutting of the cat in one with one sword, pivot word, it should bring forth the realization, actualization of without thinking from the listener. In that moment, the mind is fully taken up and indeed is none other than this pre-reflective experiencing of the cat itself, that is, the cat as it really is in this moment, no more and no less. So when one hears the pivot word, <coughs> students should realize, actualize without thinking, and thus see the cat as it really is.
So the word that he's talking about as a pivot word is the whole phrase. Is that how you guys read it? Cutting the cat in one with one sword? He's calling that a word. Like, give me a word of Zen, yeah. which was the whole beginning. It wasn't like asking for a single word, but worded in a plural sense. I hadn't read it that way initially, but thank you, Kim, because now as I look at it, that's what I think he's, he's using that phrase as the pivot word. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Milan. I think oh, it's on. me. Melissa, yeah. Okay. <laughs> our, our names are too similar, Milan. Up until this point, Dogen has altered and appropriated the Na Shan story for the purpose of, of articulating the character of without thinking. He now proceeds to address the character of the act Na Shin actually performed before the assembly, namely the killing of the cat. Cutting the cat is an action of a Buddha. Dogen affirms that the Na Shin's act is an action of the Buddha that is indeed an action proceeding from the realization actualization of the Bodhi mind the without thinking mind. In the exchange to follow, Ijo and Dugan explore the nature of Na Shen's action in terms of both its moral context and its efficacy as a means of bringing the assembly to enlightenment. Ijo asked, what should we call this action? Dogen said, call it cutting the cat. Ejo asked, would this act be a crime? Dogen said, it would. Ejo asked, then how can we escape this crime? Dogen said, the action of the Buddha and the crime are separate but they occur at once in one action. To fully understand the nature of this exchange, we must recognize that Dogen employs the Na Shen story in a fashion that is parallel to his unique appropriation of the famous Sokamuska passage, which is traditionally rendered as follows. Do you want me to read that? Yeah. Do no evil, Shokashushumushka. Do good, purify the mind. This is the teaching of Buddha. Dogen affirms the precepts of the Shokamushka as the teaching of Buddha, but then learning a phrase like Shokamushka. Ordinary people at first construe this as do no evil, but that is not what they make it out to be. One hears it thus 
when one is taught about enlightenment as suited for ex exposition, so heard that it is exposition in which unexcelled enlightenment is verbal. Since it is already the word of enlightenment, it is the starting of enlightenment. In hearing of not producing evil, oh, in hearing, I'm sorry, the unexcelled enlightenment be expounded, things are turned around. The resolve to do no evil continues as the act of not producing evil. When it comes to be that evils are no longer produced, the efficacy of one's cultivation is immediately presencing. No. Thank you. Presencing. Yeah. Presencing Jinjusu. So, one thing you misstated, what you misread was um, since it is already the word of enlightenment, it is, sta it is the stating of enlightenment. Oh. But, but what's, what I'm learning. Okay here is is so interesting to me that two things occur simultaneously when he cuts the cat in half one is a gesture of enlightenment and the other is a moral you know no no and they both occur in this action did other people get that yes fascinating mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's clearly what's said. Then I wonder what the, um, since those are separate quote unquote events or actions, does make me wonder about the karma created. Yeah. Are there, you know, are there two separate karmas created? One karma created? Do they neutralize each other? No, one is the yeah. act of a, person and the other one is not a not a thing you mean the act of buddha uh, no, never mind no go on no okay so maybe they do cancel out each other in fact maybe even the act of enlightening someone a monk by cutting the cat outweighs the act of killing the cat i don't know uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how to, I, I'm, it's not in my skill set and it's above my pay grade to know whether. <laughs> People have been very critical of me when I try to, you know, give like points to these uh, actions of ours. But the Burmese do that. They keep a logbook of their good and bad actions so they know how they're going to be reborn. But we don't do that. I mean, what, know how they're going to be reborn so they can, like, send Prepare. themselves, like, a like a, a welcome card or something? I mean, like, <laughs> what's the point? That's, that is so good. <laughs> I thought they could build a house for themselves. Mm. You know, and how big do you need the door? Well, am I going to be an elephant or a, an ant? I mean... I think we have a good idea of the kind of house we're building while we're living this life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wonder too sometimes if if we concentrate so much on killing the cat that we and ourselves miss the enlightenment. Mm 
right? So because we're so focused on the act, we miss the enlightenment. And and does that happen just in life in general, right? We're so focused on the actual action and who did the action and how the action came about that we can miss the global of the well not global but that's the only word i could think of right now of the enlightenment of that action good or bad similar to go on of cutting off the boy the boy's finger i thought that was so harsh but in that moment he was enlightened so did i mean who who gets to weigh these things I don't think there's any situation that doesn't have those sides to it. Hmm. I mean, they're certainly sometimes very hard to see, like in um, Nandia's situation with the killer. And I think that's part of the, the nature of the koan is We get stuck there. Our mind goes just to that part, just to the murder of the cat, that we can't see the other side, you know, as we're starting to see now. And yet, Kim, in the koan, and this is where I struggle because I don't, I'm not finding the dharma to it. I'm not, I'm not having any enlightened moment where his what who is the other who is the other priest or, or joshin yes when joshin returns and and he tells them the story of the cat and killing it joshin says nothing puts his shoes on his head walks out and then the the response to that action and non-verbal reply is if you had been there you would have saved the cat and so um you know, these are connected. Obviously, they're in one koan. And I think, well, then why kill the cat? Why create that karmic or um, moral um, trespass when there was another way? To it's funny you say that because Joel was telling me today, I think he's told me before, but in another translation, they're two separate mm. koans. Mm. And um, and that's interesting to think about. So you have to deal with each one by itself. And just when you think you got one, then the others comes on. So, okay, who's reading next? I am. In other words, from the perspective of one receiving initial instruction, do not evil is perspective. No, prescriptive. Prescriptive. In other words, from the perspective of one receiving initial instruction, do not do not evil is prescriptive. It serves as a precept that the practitioner is to follow. But from the perspective of enlightenment, do no evil is descriptive. It describes the moral conduct of someone realizing, actualizing the Buddha nature. When one no longer produces evil, 
it is because one's actions are a function of without thinking or seeing things as they really are. Thus, while Duggan's first answer to Ajo, call it cutting the cat, sounds evasive, in fact, it is crucial to understanding Dogen's fundamental response to the Nanchen story. Ajo's questions indicate he is looking to place a moral value judgment on this action. Dogen, however, guides Ajo towards seeing the cat, quote, as it really is, prior to the introduction of placing it in a moral context. This is none other than Dogen's application of his doctrine of Genjokuan to the situation of, quote, recognizing the presence of things as they really are. Prior to the rise of self and other and any conceptualization or contextualization of what the act is, a crime, a messy affair, an act of spurring others to enlightenment and so forth, is the simple experiencing of cutting the cat. Yeah, I don't know I could ever go. Mm. I don't know what? Say. I don't know that I could ever go there. It, 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 you know, it, don't ever say that exact sense to me about the war and the Gaza Strip, you know. It's not just a simple experience. It's, uh, I understand that we have layers and layers and perspectives, but as you were saying, and I'm agreeing with you earlier, Nanda, Anandia, it's like, yeah, we all have Buddha nature, but there are these actions that I have a hard time not calling a crime, not calling um, unskillful, and that's the kindest thing I can say. But those aren't, yeah, I don't think that that the action is, um, the option, the action comes from an obscuration. The action is not, um, I, I think it, it's tricky because you could say, uh, I, I have beauty in nature. So um, if I was to open my window and, um, you know, drop the contents of a can of paint on a passerby, um, is that, I don't know where that example came from. Um, is that uh, action, is that action Buddha nature? No, it's not. Just because I have Buddha nature, it's like, it doesn't mean that, uh, that, that actions are connected to that. Just means there's the potential, yeah? Um, I do think that it's a, um, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing that's being pointed to here because, um, when you look at certain actions, like, you know, the bombardment that, uh, that people are experiencing right now um 
in Gaza and also unfortunately in the West Bank as well right now. Um, or you look at uh, the actions of that guy here in Maine last week. Um, For for my heart and mind, I can't um I can't strip away the the action from the damage that's done. Ditto. I mean, absolutely agree, which is why I'm struggling with this particular paragraph because it, 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 it I mean, it, it makes clear that Enjo's coming from one place, a moral context. But then I read the next sentence. This is none other than Dogat's application of his doctrine to the situation of recognizing the presence of things as they really are. Well, the presence of things as they really are is that the cat got cut in half. And, but you can't separate. I can't separate. The moral and ethical implications of that. I don't know that he's asking you to separate as much as to mm -hmm. see that there are see this other thing. Like okay. like there there you you guys might kick me out of class, but there's this idea in um with Hamas that you have people who have been um disenfranchised all their life who are um trying to get it trying to get even, trying to express their anger. There's all that. And then there's, there's of course, the damage. But in every situation, um, or with the guy in Maine, there's a guy who's, who's terribly, you know, ill or sick or had bad experiences, and he's expressing that. It, it's like I had a student who, who, who killed their teacher, and my mom's first question was, you know, was he violent? What was going on? But it's like trying to see the, you know, like see it from all perspectives. And that's not to justify it. And I don't think he's justifying cutting the cat, but he's still saying we could, we could, we can have that experience of simply experiencing the cutting the cat, not that that's the end of the story. And we do yeah. have that experience yeah. all the time because, you know, we all cringe at the thought of cutting the cat. But for some people, they don't cringe at the thought of murdering a, a cow or a chicken or whatever flesh we eat, right? But um, they don't do the other thing of, of realizing that there's some moral dilemma here, too, that they're, you know, they're just looking at one side. So one person looks, oh, this is such a terrible thing. You're killing the cow. And the other person says, oh, there's nothing to this. We're just making food to eat. Exactly. And he's saying, look at the whole picture. It's both, I think. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Okay, can we go on? <laughs> <laughs> Is it my turn with Dogen? Well, I think we're fundamental. Did we read that? Hmm. Oh, no, we haven't fundamental to our experience of the cutting of the cat is its impermanence. Indeed, for Dogen, impermanence expresses our direct experience of things as they really are. Dogen points out that 
we do not experience a permanent changing objective reality. Rather, our experience is a ceaseless process, an ever-changing ebb and flow of space-time events. This fact holds whether or not there is indeed any essence or enduring substance be, um, behind or beyond our experience, a point of metaphysics on which Dogen suspends judgment. I'd like to finish with the next paragraph, if that's all right. Dogen therefore seeks to aid Ijo in seeking the cat killing, in seeing the cat killing action as it really is. But he is not thereby trying to evade Ijo's concern about the morality of the act. Dogen acknowledges that the act would be a crime, thus affirming the Buddhist precept, do not kill. But he seeks to point out that attachment to this moral precept, or any other for that matter, is unwarranted. If we cannot provide an ontology of permanency and immutability behind the flux of our experiencing, then we cannot regard even moral principles or precepts as absolute and immutable. Dogen's question-answer exchange seeks to point out that moral judgments have no static ultimate ontological status, that they are temporary configurations arising and falling with all the various circumstances, jisetsu, coalescing in any given situation. Thus, good, evil, and neither good nor evil are understood in the madhyamika sense of asvabhava, no own nature, own self-nature. You know, we can see this in our own country. When at times it was a cry to have an interracial marriage, when at times abortion was a crime, then wasn't a crime, then is now a crime again. Um, how those legal and moral judgments shift. So I appreciate that paragraph. That's thank you for letting me read it. I think abortion is a great example because. Um, On the one side, you're honoring the life of this embryo, and on the other side, you're entering, the, you know, you're you're uh, paying attention to the rights of the mother, the life of the mother, the life of the mother, and um, and people seem in one camp or the other just to be looking at one often, one side or the other, and he. So that's how some people describe the precepts as being very different from commandments, that they're not hard and fast things, but things that have to be taken in a broader sense. That was a very interesting an analogy made between abortion and the precepts there, just saying. You want to say more? Nope. Okay. So um, I'm sorry, I'm I'm really behind the discussion tonight. But uh, is he saying that in the very in the very same act of killing the cat exists the possibility of enlightenment? Well, there's a possibility with any act, don't you think? Yeah, but I mean, in terms of this con, <laughs> like mm -hmm. this brutal act is uh, well that's i think he's saying that's one aspect of it that is a brutal act but that's not the whole picture 
to me. That's yeah, that's what, what I get it. So that's why I'm asking if uh, if the other part of the coin or many other parts of the coin could be for the monks to God enlighten. So it's a mystery of the universe, like at the very same time where something really bad is happening, like someone is dying, there's someone else's living because of that and things like that. It's complicated, isn't it? Are you ready to move on? Is your subsequent question, then how can we escape this crime? Reintroduces the theme of moral causation introduced at the beginning of section 1.6. As of now, applied to the Nantuan story, Ezo's question now means, given that cause and effect are immovable, how can one escape the bad karmic effects of killing the cat? Dogen replies, the action of the Buddha and the crime are separate, but they both occur at once in one action. I think that's a cheating response because <laughs> karma is created with any action. So you, you can't, that's like, a, that's like a certain ex-president saying, oh yeah, when I asked them to like find 11,952 votes, I was just saying they might be blowing in the wind and they should go out and catch them or something. I mean, it's just like absurd. It's like, you can't, an action has karmic consequences. Nandi, do you think it's possible for, and I don't know the answer, I'm asking you, do you think it's possible for an action, and this word is the word this seems to be leaning, to have karmic consequence in polar opposite directions at the same time? Do you mean, are you saying an action to have negative multiple karmic consequences? Yeah, at the same time? I don't know. I'm not the karma queen. I, it's a very confusing concept to me that I sort of grasp in fits and starts on, you know, months that begin with a Q. <laughs> <laughs> on what planet? <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I do, think do you think of... so, Melda? Sorry, do you do you do you think that a sort of opposing uh, karmic results can arise from a single action? You know, I can't even answer the question because I don't look at karmic uh, consequences as short term in the moment. That's just a piece of the longer karmic trail, right? Um, well, so in a longer context, Stephen, do you, I mean you asked the question, so it um, it was birthed from your mind. I I think it is possible to have both positive 
Mm, I, let me put it this way, polar opposite karmic consequences um, inuring to one person out of this, the same action. I do think it is possible. So Nelda, you could, as a lawyer, you could defend or prosecute Nanshin for killing the cat. Well, of course, because I can see both sides. Yes, that's what I think that's the whole point. Yeah. That's that's what I was going to say. I think the point of this is to help us realize that we have to look at everything, all the consequences of the action or all of the implications and not just immediately go to whether it was a moral act or not, right? That doesn't mean that something horrible like a killing has a good side. But the consequences of the killing could indeed bring about something that is, in this case, enlightenment, that is good. That may not be the way you want to look at going about it. I mean, I don't think I would take this as a lesson in, oh, by the way, if you're trying to help somebody become enlightened, stand before them and kill a cat. I don't think that's the moral of the story here. But I think that often we neglect to see what else happened, right? Like here, so we killed the cat. That was an immoral act. It was it 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 has consequences, very big consequences. But what else happened was that they were the enlightenment came, and we need to recognize that. We don't need to approve of the way it happened, but we need to recognize that that is one of the things that happened as a consequence. And also our suffering comes from attaching to one side or the other. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just saying, open up a little, open your minds, I think. Mm -hmm. So who's reading now? <coughs> Cody? Cody, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I just read. Uh, yeah, I want to oh, you did? Okay, then it's you, Kim. Okay. Did we read Dogen's answer? No. Dogen's answer is none other than the application of the point Dogen made that led to his rec recital of the Nanshan story in the first place. Cause and effect emerged clearly at the same time. The act as it really is, is only one act, the killing of a cat. Addressed in its moral context, however, this realization actualization of the Nanshan story is both a Buddha act and a crime, which are separate. That is to say, there's not a cause. The cat killing Buddha act and subsequent effect, a crime linked together in a linear sequential spatio-temporal relationship, I think that means space-time, rather than, rather the Buddha act and the crime are discrete events, discontinuous from each other, which arise at the same time. Hmm. Oh my <laughs> goodness. All right. So how then does one actually, quote, escape, unquote, 
the bad karmic effects of the killing of killing the cat. Dogen's answer is that he does not and cannot escape it. Rather, he experiences the karmic effects of the act in the very moment of his immediately uh, presencing as the Shako Karmakusa puts it, the killing of the cat. Furthermore, the karmic debt incurred in this act is immediately paid without reminder or without remainder. As the Shako Maksu chapter expresses it, the presence exhaustively uh, presences all places, worlds, times, and phenomena, dharmas, as it is domain and the domain which takes for itself non-production. Because karma debt is paid without remainder, in the very completion of the act, no subsequent effect can result from it. Thus, there is no subsequent production of evil from the killing of the cat that continues on to give rise to a new cause and effect relationship. This act of killing the cat can be an act of bringing others to enlightenment when performed from the standpoint of enlightenment. But even though Dogen affirms the cat-killing act as an act of a Buddha, there are clear indications he is ambivalent about it. The concluding exchange between Dogen and Ejo on this matter is as follows. Ejo asked, is this what is meant by the Pratimos what? Pratimokska precepts. This is the precepts that left the emancipation from the evil actions of body, word, and mind. I will read it again. I just asked, is this what is meant by the Pratimokska precepts? <laughs> it's a certain group of precepts. The precepts uh -huh. are divided into different groups. Thank you. Dogen said, yes, but well, such a view, i.e. the killing of the kaidas as, as a means of bringing enlightenment to others, is all right. It could be better not to hold it. Understanding this ambivalence about the cut cutting out act requires an appreciation of Dogen's view of the Buddhist precepts. On the one hand, one finds numerous admonitions throughout the Shobogensu Suimonki to uphold the precepts. Indeed, immediately upon concluding their discussion on the Nanchuan story, Eju and Dogen launched into a detailed conversation about the nature of violating the precepts and the actions required to 
rectify such violations. Dogen stressed the need for repentance on one's sins and for taking the precepts again, thereby enabling the sinner to regain purity. The very last exchange in section 1.6 demonstrate Dogen's emphasis on the precepts. I'm thinking my sister was in biology too in high school and they were dissecting a cat. So obviously the cat was killed so that students could dissect them. I don't think they find cats on the street to do that with. And I don't remember her ever or her friends ever saying, oh no, this cat died so that we could learn biology. I'm not justifying what they did. I'm just noticing now that I never heard them say that, Feel, feeling sorry for the cat. But I guess some probably did. Or some like me just decided not to take physiology, which is the course where they did that. Well, at least in physiology, they don't kill people, too. Well, that's true. They just killed the cat. Yeah. Okay, who's next? I think I am, but I don't know where we are on the page anymore. Ejo asked. Ejo asked, if repentance of the seven grave sins is allowed, is it permissible to receive the precepts afterward? Dogen answered, yes. Once a person's repentance has been accepted, he must receive the precepts again. Even in the case of grave sins, anyone who repents should be permitted to receive the precepts again. This reminds me of like when Tony Soprano goes to make confession. Cause so it's like, okay, that he's knocked off all those guys or had someone else do it. Cause he's just gonna say a couple of Hail Marys and go get a pizza. So, oh, got it, Nelda. Uh, Dogen answered, yes. Once a person's repentance has been accepted, he must receive the precepts again. Even in the case of the grave sins, anyone who repents should be permitted to receive the precepts again if he so desires. Should... Should even a bodhisattva himself violate the precepts, he must be given the precepts again, since he has done this for the sake of others. Dogen holds up before the monk the bodhisattva ideal as exemplary for one's conduct, taking up the precepts for the sake of all sentient beings. On the other hand, Dogen's instructional exchanges with Ajo indicate that he is not attached to the precepts in matters of morality. For Dogen, right moral action varies according to the circumstances, which include not only the situation encountered, but the capacity of the individual to respond. In the Nanchuan story, the circumstances concern the killing or not killing of the cat from the perspective of the enlightened mind. The exchange above more explicitly addresses whether or not, from this perspective, an evil act 
like cutting the cat, can be a means of bringing enlightenment to others, without denying that this act violates the Buddhist precept against killing. Dogen acknowledges the validity of this possibility. Hmm. Morally ambiguous, I think. What's morally ambiguous? What Dogen is saying or the act? What he's saying. Oh, okay. The act is clearly... Uh, well, I, I don't find ambiguity in it. Okay. I censure the act. Okay. Uh, Cody. Yes. So where are we? Yet even as he affirms. Yet even as he affirms. The validity of this view, Dogen remarks that it would be better not to hold it. Though perhaps this appears as a somewhat puzzling qualification in light of all that has preceded it. Dogen's remark is understandable excuse me, on at least two levels. First of all, Dogen can be seen as cautioning Eo not to allow this view to become yet one more obstacle to seeing the situation as it really is and thereby hindering the ability to respond to a similar situation in an open and enlightened fashion to hold on to the to hold on to the view could very well lead one to fixate on this method in similar circumstances or worse to employ this method in a totally inappropriate situation Furthermore, Dogen's response indicates that he does not look at the cat killing act as if it had been cast by Ijo. Such a view, the killing of the cat as a means of bringing enlightenment to others, is all right, but it is not his frame of reference for looking at the cat killing act. In other words, prima facie, it may appear that Dogen is primarily concerned with or indeed addressing the morality of employment. <laughs> a violation of the precepts for the sake of enlightening others, Dogen does not deny the validity of this perspective. Indeed, he affirms the Catcalline Act as a Buddha Act, but he is in fact transcending this perspective and is commenting to Ijo that it would be better not to hold it. He is suggesting that he do the same. Dogen, as we have seen, is rather concerned with the Catcalline as evocative of with, <coughs> without thinking. As we noted, as we noted earlier, how Dogen momentarily digresses from his exposition about without thinking in order to critique Nanshan's performance as recounted in the traditional story, we now turn to an analysis of how Dogen said he would have acted if he were in Nanshan's place, facing the incomprehend at the uncomprehending assembly. Recall again Dogen's remark. When the assembly could not reply, and if I had been in Nanshan, if I had been Nanshan, I would have released the cat, 
since the assemblage had already said they could not answer. An old master has said, in expressing full function, there are no fixed methods. Dogon concedes that Nanshin's act is an, is an expression of manifesting Nanshin's enlightenment, yet Dogon rarely contended himself with merely reciting familiar. Is Melissa frozen? Yes. Okay, why don't you continue? Dogen-san's proposed response helps us to see the point he is trying to make via the words of the old master. Quote, in expressing full function, there are no fixed methods. Oh, did we read that? Yeah. In other words, there is no fixed formula for expressing and electing without thinking. I'm sorry, we read that. Dogen's own suggested course of action on the other hand, is a classic expression of Buddhist detachment applied to the situation. At first glance, his proposed response may not seem like a transcending of Nanshuan's position, because it sounds like the other position to which Nanshuan's was attached, namely, to not kill the cat. Yet, the actually, yet it actually does trans transcend Nuan Xuan's position when the situation context is taken into account. Nan Xuan carries out the cat killing act because the assembly could not answer, just as he said he could. This suggests that if the assembly had managed to answer, then he could have released the cat. Yet Dogen indicates on a position an option beyond that of Nan Xuan's, that is the releasing of the cat when the assembly could not answer. Uh, Cody, or oh, oh, Nandia? Yeah. So Dogen affirms Nanshuan's act as an act of the Buddha, as expressive of enlightenment. However, even as he acknowledges this enlightenment, he challenges its depth of attainment. In Dogen's mind, releasing the cat would have revealed a spiritual progress superior to Nanchuan's. But why does he think so? First of all, we must remember that for Dogen, even the first moment of Zazen unfolds enlightenment. But if one is to pursue the Dharma, one's practice must continue so that one's enlightenment can deepen. No one, not even an accomplished Zen master such as Nanchuan, has reached the point where practice is unnecessary. Dogen's life question was, if we're already enlightened, why do we need to sit? And so this points to that. Uh, Cody? Recall, we're almost our, done. Earlier recall our earlier observation about the role the precepts play for the Zen practitioner. They are prescriptive form from the perspective of initial instruction and descriptive from the perspective of enlightenment. Thus one's continuing pace, I mean practice, one's deepening enlightenment results in a concomitant advance in one's moral cultivation. 
So we may say that the more one practices and thus actualizes enlightenment, the more perfect the precepts become in describing the person acting from enlightenment. I don't know what that word means. Does anyone know what it means? I never mm -hmm. saw it before. Yes, it means at the same time. Oh, good. Thank you. Oh, co, not, okay. It's pronounced concomitant. Thank you. Oh, okay. To some extent, do no evil, Shokumakusa, does describe Nanchun's act because, as we saw, the evil of killing the cat act was exhausted in the very moment of the act, and no subsequent evil was produced, according to Dogen. Thus, we recall is possible because, from the standpoint of enlightenment, cause and effect can be seen as discontinuous. Thus, Danchen does produces no evil that could continue along the karmic chain of causation. Yet, do no evil is even more apropos of Dogen's act because, of course, no evil act transpires, the cat is not killed. And no subsequent qualifier needs to be appended to the precept describing it. <coughs> Furthermore, the important Buddhist precept against killing is descriptive of the former and not the latter act. Thus, the course of action proposed by Dogen is more perfectly described by the precepts and reflects a superior depth of cultivation. We're almost there. We're at the top of the page still. I apologize, yes. my internet apparently going in and out. That's all right. We find here an echo of a point Dogen makes elsewhere in the Shobanzano uh, Monkey. In both benefiting others and practicing yourself, to discard the inferior and adopt the superior compromise, the good action of the bodhisattva. No, comprises. Compri oh, thank you. Comprises the good action of the bodhisattva. Dogen tirelessly admonishes his disciples to practice unceasingly and strive further and further toward an unending moral and spiritual excellence. In Dogen's view, a rigorous adherence to the precepts is descriptive of the moral character of the advanced Zen practitioner. Thus, any breaking of the precepts usually suggests a lesser spiritual attainment, though it may indeed proceed from enlightenment. So this is a little contradictory to what we were reading, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dogen can allow for a precept-breaking action to be right in some ultimate sense if it serves to manifest and evoke enlightenment. But compared with some of the colorful, violent actions, actions performed by certain masters that have been handed down in the Zen tradition, Dogen's allowance for the occasional breaking of the precepts is fairly conservative. Furthermore, even a bodhisattva in such circumstances, quote, must be given the precepts again, since he has done this, i.e. violated the precepts 
for the sake of others, close quote. Uh, a Mr. holistic. Oh, go on. A holistic view of, is it me? Yes. Oh. A holistic view of Dogen's thought is difficult to achieve given the number and complexity of Dogen's teachings. Yet I believe that the passage above provides a good opportunity to see the moral character of Dogen's religious vision in action. About this aspect of his thought, much more can be explicated. But I think we can readily see that Dogen's brand of Zen Buddhism is far from being an immoral or amoral one. So there's a story about Dogen that he, at the end, toward the end of his life, he changed his mind about a lot of things and wanted to rewrite everything he had written, but never got through that work. But you can see the complexity of his thinking. You know, first to to examine this one side and then to kind of reject it is how I'm reading this. Do you guys read it like that? Mm -hmm. But he's a beautiful thinker, I think. Okay. So much for no thinking. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I like this. Number 10, Kim renders Genko Koan as Koan realized in life. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all for sticking with it. You're welcome. See y'all next time. Yes, we will start a new a new koan. Put the cat to rest. The cat. Yes, we'll take Thank the Dogen story. The cat was never killed. I like that one, Ben. Good night. Okay. Thank you. Good night. Thank good you. Good night. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. You too. You too. Bye.